You're listening to Disciples in the Last Days podcast. Here's your host, Pastor Bill Rose. Well, this is Pastor Bill, and I just wanted to say thanks again for joining me for this third installment of Disciples in the Last Days. Uh, as we've been going through uh, the series, uh, we've been We've been talking about the churches, the seven churches, and the seven letters to the seven churches that we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And last time when we were together, uh, we were talking about the importance of being in God's Word, knowing the truth. Uh, We talked about the importance of the uh, content and tone of our conversations, and and we talked about being salt and light. I want to pick up Thyatira and Sardis today. Uh, Thyatira is a church that has talked about having tolerated the spirit of Jezebel, and Sardis is a church that the Bible says is a dead church. Now, let's think about this just for a little bit. Let's talk about this for just a little bit. Thyatira is said to tolerate Jezebel. Now, in many ways, the Jezebel of Revelation, I I think, is a lot like the Jezebel that we see in the Old Testament and and the things that she did to the nation of Israel. And then what's going on is you you have a church that has fallen into a habit of tolerating sin, not really being too concerned about apostasy and idolatry and sexual immorality. In fact, the church of Thyatira is married to the world in ways that are, that are disturbing and obvious from the letter, uh, the Lord's trying to deal with those things and trying to confront those things. Now, we know from the Old Testament that Jezebel was uh, a liar, and we know that she urged sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. In other words, what's fascinating is she actually speaks against the decree of the Jerusalem Council that we find in Acts chapter 15 as they were working through what would be expected of the Gentile Christians. Um, Now let's think about how that applies today or what that looks like today, because what we're really talking about is what the cultural uh, word tolerance stands for and and what what people struggle with inside and outside of the church. For some people today, uh, tolerance is the only real virtue, and intolerance is the only real vice. Now, what's fascinating is the message to Thyatira, it it really goes against the grain of of what we see happening in the culture today. Um, The main criticism that the angel uh, of Thyatira receives is that he has tolerated something, and he's tolerated someone that's unacceptable. We see this happening in the church large C uh, around the world today. Uh, there is there's a there's there's a there's an idea that that comes in from the culture that tolerance is a virtue. Um, I, I, I want to suggest that we need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves uh, as, it, as 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 it relates to this word tolerance. Too often, tolerance gets redefined as agreement, and as it gets redefined as agreement, it leads us to cross lines that the Bible clearly has drawn. Now, we live in a a culture that's very pluralistic. That can be uh, something that creates some great conversations, but toleration used to mean patience with, and even dialogue with people who may or may not be in agreement with one another. You tolerate somebody else's opinion. You tolerate somebody else's view, uh, whether you agree with it or not. What's happened is over time, the term tolerance has, has come to mean that all views are equally valid. Now, that's a major shift in thinking. Uh, not only are all views equally tolerable, 
but they're all equally valid. Valid. And, and what happens in, in this kind of thinking, we kill truth. And if truth is relative, that's okay, but if it's not, then it becomes problematic. The only truth in sometimes that we see left in the culture is tolerance, which in reality isn't truth. And so because of that, then values don't really have any value. The reality is the Bible does state some things very clearly, and we as disciples in the last days, I think, have to do two things in response to this. First, there has to be there has to be an awareness of where people are coming from so you connect so you can connect people to the wisdom of biblical truth. In other words, in, in our current culture, you and I and, and another three people sitting at a, at a table uh, at a Starbucks may have very different starting points in the conversation. And we get in trouble when we make assumptions as we are in this conversation. Frankly, many people have no idea what the Bible even says anymore, even though that they may say that they believe it or they don't believe it. Second, it is incredibly important that we treat people in ways that honor God and would cause people to want what we have. In other words, our zeal for the truth isn't to short-circuit our love, and our love can't cause us to compromise the truth. The church is then told, to those of you who don't follow her, hold on to what you have. You might be in a church, you might be in a group, you might be in a denomination that has taken on some of these characteristics described. If so, the word still applies to you. Hold on to what you have and pray for the Holy Spirit to lead others into God's truth. Next is the letter to the church of Sardis. Fascinating. Now, this church, historians think, uh, began somewhere around the 1500s, and it continues uh, all the way through uh, to the tribulation. Most scholars would say this is really the church of the Reformation that we see. Now, what I find fascinating in this particular letter God has nothing positive to say to this church. Nothing positive to say to this church. Can you imagine receiving a letter from the Lord that has nothing positive to say about your church? Well, the church of Sardis certainly did, but it does have something very concerning to say. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wow. Now, historically, this Protestant Reformation that began around the 1500s, 1517 or so, uh, ultimately led us to a period of history where there was an exponential increase in denominations. We certainly see that uh, that hasn't changed much uh, in, in the past few years. In other words, um, this, this, is a, this, this, is, this, is, this is a church in contrast to the Roman Catholic Church. This is speaking to all of us that are a part of the Methodists and the Nazarenes and all these, all these different groups that are out there, right? History shows us, though, that there's a tendency with denominations, and that is denominations have a tendency to devolve into denominationalism. Or to say it another way, what began as a movement— that eventually became a denomination, ended up becoming nothing more than a bureaucracy. Consequently, what, what happens is they either spend a lot of time and energy and, and money protecting their particular doctrines and living in the past, thinking about you know, those times in history when, when they were really making a big difference, or they allow their denominational pendulum to swing away from the gospel to social justice or politics or acquiescing to the culture and apologizing for the past. And as a consequence, they don't really have any doctrine left. 
So with the former, you get a loud doctrinal why with little meaningful action. And with the latter, you end up with a social what devoid of any biblical why. These two were never meant to be separated. I think that's why these letters become so critical for you and I in this day and age. Disciples in the last days need to be driven by a biblical why without withdrawing from a culture that can be hostile, but also one that needs a message of hope coupled with compassionate action. So here we go. I want to pray God's blessing on each of you as you engage people in gospel-centered conversations, and I applaud you as you serve others in meaningful ways. Until next time, this is Pastor Bill Rose with Disciples in the Last Days. 